Okay. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you all here. Welcome to 1111. Um, um, well, um, I'm down, what am I trying to say? Welcome to 1111 downtown. Glad to have you online watching us as well. It's beautiful outside. That may be why you're there and watching later in the week, or maybe you're watching outside. And, uh, but we are glad that you're here this morning. And speaking of outside, uh, 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 Peter Canning, who often, who always, except when he's not here, organizes a gathering of folks to go out to lunch, had the brilliant idea of we'll meet at Monticello Park. After, after this, if anybody's interested, pick up something on the way and meet us out at Monticello Park, which is in the Monticello area of Fort Worth off of 7th Street, and you can find it pretty quickly. It's a beautiful park, and it's going to be a beautiful rest of the day, so come out, join us for food and laughter, and, and uh, we'll, we'll just be sitting on the ground, or some of us will have blankets and stuff, too. So, but come on out. You can join us there. All right, so that's always happening. There's always a fun place to go for lunch. This one will be fun, too. Also... Um, I am going to say, I'm going to make an announcement and maybe regret this later, but I'm going to make this announcement. Um, a couple of people have asked me about this, including, well, I won't, I won't, I won't mention names yet. <laughs> I am looking over here, but I won't mention names yet. Um, I won't incriminate anybody. We're starting a ukulele group. And just to inspire people, somewhere down the line in this series, we are going to have a reprisal of the Born to be Wild experience. Some of you remember that when, when the band and I did that with me featured on the ukulele. And uh, it's a great story. It actually fits with this series, too. So we're going to do that later in the week when Brad's back. When Brad's right now on vacation, he'll be back. But because Brad's on vacation, we have Elena Gunter helping us here. And we're so glad to have Elena doing her thing here. Um, also, we're going to have a ukulele group. If you are interested, this group is going to, we're going to, we're going to actually start meeting here in the next week or so, and it will be an easy kind of thing. If you strum a ukulele, that would be helpful, but you don't have to be really talented on it. You just have to know your way kind of around a ukulele uh, and know some basic chords, even if you don't know the name of chords. That's all right, too, because we'll have the shapes of them and stuff, so you can figure that. We're going to focus on Christmas music. And start thinking towards that. But we'll be thinking about contemporary bands and adapting songs like Jack Johnson's Christmas songs or, or uh, the Indigo Girls' Christmas songs or those kind of things. So we'll be doing classics as well as contemporary fun stuff. So if you're interested in that, it'll be open to some folks over at the uh, big church as well. We're going to have a ukulele group. And uh, I've often ran away from that for many, many years of doing that. And enough people have asked me that I re-inspired. And my wife's like... You're going to regret this. <laughs> but I'm not going to regret it because I love ukulele. And who doesn't? So, and even if you don't have one, we can get you one easy enough. But if you're interested, let me know in the next week or so. Okay. Good morning. So as we light this candle today, the first thing that went through my mouth when, uh, or my mind when Tom said, um, what came first? I thought the chicken and the egg. But <laughs> maybe that's just me. But I'm glad it wasn't the right answer. If we can get this. Magic. Let there be light. <laughs> if you'll join me as we say the welcome for today, and welcome to those online as well. Come, come, 
whoever you are, wanderer, worshiper, lover of living, it doesn't matter. Ours is not a caravan of despair. Come, even if you have broken your vows a thousand times, come yet again.
turn to one another and offer each other a sign of peace. won't work. Time to throw that away. Good morning. My name is DeAndrea Dare. It is not John Taylor, but I'm going to share this incredibly long scripture reading with you this morning. And we're going to hope that I can read it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, but the earth became chaos and emptiness, and darkness came over the face of the deep. Yet the Spirit of God was brooding over the surface of the waters. God said, light be, and light was. And God separated light from darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night, the first day. Then God said, make an expanse between the waters, separate water from water. So it was. God called the expanse sky. Evening came and morning followed the second day. Then God said, Waters under the sky be gathered into one place. Dry ground appear. So it was. God called the dry ground earth and the gathering of the waters sea. And God saw that this was good. The earth brought forth every kind of plant that bears seed and every kind of fruit tree on the earth that bears fruit with it its seed in it, and God saw that this was good the third day. Then God said, Now let there be lights in the expanse of the sky. Separate day from night. God made the two great lights, 
the greater one to illumine the day and a lesser to illumine the night. Then God made the stars as well, placing them in the expanse of the sky to shed light on the earth, together govern both day and night, and separate light from darkness. And God saw that this was good, the fourth day. Then God created the seas and all sorts of swimming creatures with which the waters are filled, and all kinds of birds to fill the skies. And God saw this was good, the fifth day. Then God cried out, Earth, make all kinds of wild animals and cattle and everything that crawls on the ground. And God saw that this was good. Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image to be like us. Humankind was created as God's reflection in the divine image God created them. Female and male, God blessed them and said, Fill the earth and be responsible for it. Watch over all the living things on the earth. So it was. God looked at all this creation and saw it was good. The sixth day. Time of Kairos, which is a time to stop and reflect. And so we have a nice calm song for you. Here's Landslide, the Chicken Song. So 
So this, this past week was my daughter's fall break, and um, we took a little trip, and we were getting ready to go to a, to a certain place, and they knew that where we were going, there had been a, a bad thing that had happened there, and when we turn on the news these days, we see all kinds of bad things happening. The war in the Middle East, there are occurrences in our own community that make us question what is going on around us and in our world. And one of my daughters said, well, Mommy, I don't, I don't think that the person that did that was a bad person. And it made me stop in my tracks because if you would have asked me, I would have said was evil, like the epitome of evil. But how do you respond to a nine-year-old in that way? And so I looked at her and I simply said, I don't know because I didn't know him. But I know he made a very bad choice and did a very bad thing. And then it made me stop and reflect on the choices that I make every day. Do I think that I'm a bad person? No. But do I think that I, do I know that I make some bad choices? Yes. And so in this time of uncertainty that we live, where we often put ourselves against someone else, against the other, the bad against the good, whatever it may be, may we take this Kairos time to just set and breathe together to find our unity, to reflect on the scripture reading that was read where God created humankind and called us good. And may we find some unity in that that can empower us to work for good in this world that we have been given. May we pray together. uncertainty, in the unsettledness, in the darkness, and in the midst of the fear. May we be reminded that there is good 
that we were created for good. That we are good. And may we work for that good to come so that peace may be found for all. And um, I love how you didn't know it was there to begin with. <laughs> it was in her purse. There's a, there's a lesson here. You never know what's in your purse, right? That's right. I always tell Linda, like she says, I don't have one. I said, look again. <laughs> whatever it is. It doesn't matter what it is. Plunger, whatever. Um, I love these songs, and these songs are so profound. I mean, that when I heard Landslide... Uh, two weeks ago, as, we were, as Brad and I were thinking about this series, and I heard Landslide, and I thought, oh, that song is about so much, right? It's, just, it's not about just a relationship falling apart. It's really just about reality falling apart. And, um, and how, do we, how do we face reality when it's falling apart around us? Um, and that's really what this series, series is about. It's really about knowing who we are in relationship to creation, in relationship to life in relationship to landslides as well as new birth and growth in the world around us so um and i was walking around and i saw the kids uh, i've seen different kids that are here that and and as and as uh, deandrea was reading the uh, genesis one creation story they were creating with play-doh and uh just making things and i thought just that just that playfulness that innocence of seeing what's next what comes out of this it's so much fun and yet we kind of lose that right we lose it in time we we lose that ability to see all of our moments as creative redemptive possibilities and instead we've already told the story about them which comes first the reality or the story we tell about reality it's a, it's a really important question and i think it's important to talk about that question in terms of how we see ourselves and how we see who we are and i guarantee okay i, I i'm going to try to make more question statements than than, I, than, you know, than definitive statements, and certainly not guarantees. But I'm going to suggest, I wonder, if, in fact, the better we knew ourselves, the closer we might be to God, than vice versa. But that means sometimes we have to go through some landslides to really get there, I think. Um, so this background of Genesis story... We th we've always heard this Genesis story as the uh, sort of the, the creation story, uh, the evolution versus creationist uh, sort of debate that's been going on for hundreds of years and for at least a couple of hundred years. And certainly in our own time, as we see intelligent design coming to this, it's been around for several decades and now uh, debates in the school systems, whether that should be allowed to be taught. All these kinds of things surface and they all center around one fallible narrative at least one primary fallible narrative that i'm going to suggest it's actually point two that i want to make so i'm jumping ahead but that narrative is the domination narrative it's the idea of separation the idea of us versus them it's the idea of control of acquisition of de of defining and and creating static realities that's the domination narrative it's what's basically guided life human life for millennia 
It's arisen out of our very biology because our very biology is rooted in fear and anxiety. And so what we want to do is overcome that or run away from it. And so we have this innate sense of wanting to dominate, wanting to control things, not wanting to deal with anxiety, with, with uh, vulnerability, with um, uh, uh, impermanence. We shy away from all of that. But it's not just because that's an actual experiential reality. It's because it's also the very narrative fabric of how we see ourselves. And it's in its simplest expression right now in the Middle East. It's literally in its simplest, most primitive expression in the Middle East. And our reactions to it are not that much more sophisticated than that, re that simplistic kind of reaction over there. It's still all very much grounded in domination and control, fear. So I want to back up a little bit then and tell you what my first point is with regard to this story. We tend to see everything as linear. We are still mostly living our lives, even though we might say, oh, that's an interesting pourquoi tale, as they say in French, an explanationary tale about how things came to be. 2,600 years ago, 2,500 years ago, it got written down. It's been around for 1,200 years prior to that. Involved a whole lot more gods, involved a whole lot more gods before that when it was in the Mesopotamian area. So for, for thousands and thousands of years, that kind of story has been told. Finally got written down in a certain way. Different from the second creation story in Genesis 2. Different from the creation stories that are in Jeremiah and in other books of the Bible. Different than the creation story that's in the Gospel of John. They're all told at different places, but do they all speak to the same domination story narrative? We are mostly living our lives today, especially I think most Christians, but most religions as a whole, and most of us as people, in spite of where we think we are sophisticated and advanced and industrially or technologically uh, superior, we are mostly living our lives based on a 2,000-year-old roadmap. That's point number one. Most of us are still oriented around that. Now, if, when I say most of us are oriented, you might be going like, well, I don't really believe in that anymore. I don't really ascribe to that story. That's just a myth, or, or even better, because I think myths are really important. That's just a fairy tale. That's just an expl explanation kind of narrative. It's just a story that people used to tell, and that's been debunked by Galileo, Copernicus, and, and uh, Spinoza, and then Darwin. All of that's been debunked now. And yet... If you're living in the 20th century, 21st century, and particularly a child of the 20th century, you are still living mostly by a 2,000-year-old roadmap, which is why we have such a difficult time trying to come to terms with climate change, because we really don't see nature or climate as our kin. We see it as something we dominate or we have to control, or we have to step away from, because it's out of control. We don't see it as our kinfolk. We don't see it as something which we are related and in which we evolve with. And yet, nonetheless, we are evolving with creation, with, with environment, with nature, with life, with whatever is happening, we are evolving too, whether we like it or not. Sidebar here. That point about whether we might like it or not, we see on local levels 
familial levels, uh, uh, social structural levels, like in businesses and corporations. We see it in churches. We see it in nation states. Whether we like it or not, we are evolving. What happens is you got a lot of pushback, but that doesn't stop evolution. It doesn't stop change. It doesn't stop movement. We just think in our minds we can stop it. And so you have those people who really orient themselves around this idea of creative change and the reality that we are participating in that. But that's a small population compared to the rest of us who really still believe things ought to stay pretty much the way they have always been. Think of how, think of just the reaction some of you had. I'm not saying all of you. You, you people are really sophisticated and advanced, I think, as a, for the most part. I think of you as pretty higher consciousness oriented. But no doubt when I said we have to move this building in a few months and we're going to have to find another place, no doubt some of you were like, what? Really? But I like it here. Why are they always making us move? That's the domination story. We relate to it in terms of materialism and attachment and acquisition and ourselves. It's the story we are telling. It's not Reality. Reality is what? Change. Yes. Reality is change. But the challenge for us as evolving creatures is to live into change creatively, joyfully, engaged. Instead, we kind of react. We push back. I mean, I get that because that's part of our biological nature. But that we've been around for, what, uh, 400 million years now? The human species, I forget exactly how long, but... You know, we should be moving along. What was it E.O. Wilson said? I don't know if I have E.O. Wilson's quote. Um, Edward O. Wilson, the educator and, and the philosopher and, and, and scientist, he had said, yeah, I'm going to paraphrase it roughly. He had said, we're basically so many thousands of years old, but we're still primates with massive, sophisticated tools in our hands and don't know what to do with them. We only think we know what to do with them. We're still primitive primates. And that's the challenge I think we find ourselves in with this way that we orient around life from a domination narrative, from a narrative in which things are about control, about differences, about binaries, about, about um, uh, zero-sum kinds of outcomes. There are models in our lives, though. You look at someone like Nelson Mandela, who literally should have responded to his reality from a domination perspective, in reaction to. Instead, he, he evolved, he approached it from an evolutionary perspective, which was about restoring something, that something might move forward, restoring relationships, that something might move out of that, out of that chaos. Instead of controlling it, instead of retribution, there was a creative opportunity to redeem and move in a new direction. That's a really visionary kind of way to be. That's really what Jesus was about, really. If you look at Jesus, his whole life was really a visionary. He was looking not just toward the future, he was seeing the future here and now. So he said the kingdom is here and now. He was living as if that possibility exists. Why? Because it does. <laughs> it does exist. That possibility always exists. We are always in the midst of that redemptive possibility. And so Jesus swam upstream, counterintuitive, countercultural, counter-domination story, and lived into that evolutionary framework of creatively finding redemptive connections. So 
That was point number one. We are, not li we are living our lives mostly by a 2,000-year-plus roadmap, which is the domination story. The primary root story, this is number two, is this idea that it's a domination story, that until we learn to see it as that and to begin thinking in terms of how our reactions are about control and reactions as opposed to improv. Some of you in here did improv classes with me and some others for, for a number of uh, months, actually a couple of years. Who, raise your hand, because we have several in here, right? I know we have a few, yeah. We, we ought to do that again, but I said one of the things that was most fascinating in, about improvisation was this idea that you don't know what's going to happen next. And if you try to plan it, one of two things happens. You destroy the bit, or you look like an idiot. <laughs> because you go in with a set presumption with the story that's going to be told instead of being present to the reality that is. And when that happens, everything falls apart. But here's the problem. You don't know what's going to happen. So you have to be paying attention enough to simply risk throwing something in there. And that risk is something we don't all believe we can do. That's what's called faith. Faith is not certainty. Faith is vulnerability and risk. It's that creative moving into urge, curiosity, that's willing to take risks. And the more you do that, the more you realize, oh, yeah, I can dance these steps. There's not a formal dance step around this thing, but I can dance with this. I just have to let go of the stories I'm telling so that I can be present to the reality that is, the possibilities that are. It also occurred to me as I was thinking about this second point that the domination story is one of our primary, primary probably the primary root narrative of our culture and, and most of the world. That it also occurred to me, what are addictions? If the primary narrative that we are having to deal with is about success and acquisition and right or wrong and shame or pride, then what are addictions but a cry for connection? A misguided cry for connection. In fact, if anything should show us that we're we need to look somewhere else for how we live our lives and how we participate in life. It's the people who are addicted around us. It's our own addictions to certain ideas and, and concepts and patterns and familiarities. Because it's that urge to connect, and yet we're doing it in the wrong way, right? So just that occurred to me as an interesting idea. I, I don't know what that says about Gaza and Israel. I really don't. I'd like to say there's a simple answer. I think there is. But getting there is, is almost impossible, right? Because of this pattern we've been a part of for so many, so many years, thousands of years. I don't, say, I don't see that that will happen until some kind of massive evolutionary change has happened and forced that. I was at, uh, Linda and I were coming back home this last week from, um, from Michigan. We were there for a few days, for about a week and a half. By the way, thanks to Mary Ellen Barrow. She's not here, but let's give her a hand. I hope you're watching later, Mary Ellen. She really did an amazing job, and we're so glad to have people like her and like Charm and others who can come up and just fill in and do that. I just am so, I'm blessed to have that presence. We're blessed to have them in our community. And uh, I, just, I, haven't had, I haven't actually had a chance to listen to it yet because I was on vacation. And I didn't even work on this until yesterday. <laughs> so it's like, I'm, 
I'm not, I'm on vacation. Anyway, um, but we were traveling back, and, um, and something happened on our, on our first day back. We stayed at La Quinta in Missouri, and it's a nicer, newer La Quinta. It was two days ago, so three days after the attack in Israel and the response uh, on the Gaza Strip, and the images just flooding. You know how these hotels have scre screens everywhere. So the images just flooding the, uh, the two screens that were there. And people having their breakfast in the, uh, in the area, the breakfast area, and just staring at the screen. And I'm thinking to myself, so many different things. All of the narratives that are going through their head are basically imprinted already. And they're just being reinforced, right? All of these, all the stories we've been telling about this situation, telling ourselves, the sides we've been siding with, the ways we oriented around our anxieties and fears, all these stories are just being reinforced, deep, more deeply imprinted. Nothing new necessarily is happening here. And then I look over at the, at the, at the register's desk, register desk, or, uh, you know, and it's a Muslim woman. It's a young Muslim woman wearing her, her scarf, and, um, and she seems... Re resistant. She seems a little distant, and I, I didn't even, it didn't even occur to me at first because I didn't see it that way. I just walked up and I said, "Where?" Because I was just looking for the ice machine. I said, "Is there an ice machine on this floor?" I didn't even realize the narrative she was facing and dealing with, and the narrative in that room, and the narrative on the screen. And then it came on the screen where they were talking about these school campuses where students were now reacting towards others who appeared to be Middle Eastern or Muslim, especially if they had Muslim, uh, you know, the, the traditional uh, wear garb, and they were being violent and oppressive and prejudicial towards them. And so the, the administrators at these two campuses were actually saying, please just go ahead and wear masks. We invite you to wear masks. It's a COVID kind of reality anyway. Just wear masks. Really? That's what we have to do. But even that's the wrong answer, right? It's just the only, maybe it's a stopgap. That was being told as she was looking at the screen as I was asking her for where there was an ice machine. And then I looked at her and I, it just hit me and I said, I'm sorry. Are you okay? Are you doing all right? And she was surprised because I am like, you know, white guy. And, and she just, she, she smiled and she said, I am, thank you. And I said, well, I just wanted you to know, I, I just realized that I'm thinking about you, but I hope you're doing all right. And then I said, and, and there's a nice machine on this floor. And she, <laughs> and she smiled and she said, yeah, it's just down at the other end of the hall, you know. And then I talked to her several different times going back and forth, you know. But I just, the reality of these situations is the fact that evolution requires that some new agent is introduced. And it will happen eventually, but oftentimes it happens by, by force, by chaos, and just a you know, catastrophic kind of thing. But it can happen creatively. When God created the, be at the beginning, the fun thing about this story is not that God said this, that. If you go back and you read it, God said created. But if you look at the Hebrew word, it means to bring into relationship. It was already there. God was just improvising. God was literally bringing things into relationship, except for the water, which was getting in trouble, and so the water had to be separated. You go to that part, and you go to this part. And Okay, I thought that would be funnier. But anyway, um, <laughs> but that was part of the three-tiered universe, right? The water's above, the water's here, and then down below was, was the, you know, life of, was, was the world of death. And so it was just that three-tiered reality. But it wasn't because... Things came out of nowhere. It was chaos, and God brought things into relationship. 
the divine presence in the world, however you think about it, was about bringing things into relationship. And that's really what evolution is about. Is it good? Is it bad? That depends on the story you're telling. But the reality is it's changing because something is creatively participating. And that's what we get invited to do in all of these moments. I was just one other quick illustration before I bring the third point. And that is that when we were earlier in the week, we were driving through this place called Tunnel of Trees. Look it up on the internet up in Michigan. It's beautiful this time of year. And we're riding through this Tunnel of Trees, and there's, there's a little cafe, a little coffee shop. It's just sitting there, a log cabin coffee shop in the middle of the woods as you're driving along. It's called Trillium Woods Coffee Shop. It's, it's named after the trillium flowers, which are like some of the shortest-lived flowers, right? These little white flowers that just crop up in the, like in, in the early spring, and then they disappear. And then, and, but they're beautiful, white. They just cover the ground and then they disappear. So it's called Trillium Woods Coffee Shop. And we pull in there and it's a delightful space. And there's all these, like, there's people sitting over here uh, by the fire, a, a couch with a table, and they're reading tarot cards. <laughs> but they're not traditional, they're, they're animal tarot cards. They're more like Native American tarot cards. And then there's someone over here discussing this little pamphlet that's talking about finding yourself. And it's this, it was an LGBTQ person who had written this little, it was like an unfolding story, you know, you just kind of keep opening the paper and it unfolds into more revelation. And it started with a conflict where the person wasn't. just didn't know each other so that would be the next story <laughs> right so I went up to the counter then and I asked what you know to have my to have my coffee drink and they made a fancy little coffee drink and then the young woman looked at me and she said what would you like to call this order <laughs> and I said you mean like my name and she said well if you'd like to give it your name <laughs> but how how should I call it and I said delightful and so after people got their other orders, you know, Sam, Mary, whatever, delightful, your order's ready. <laughs> and I was like, I like this place. <laughs> so anyway, so um, I think we are invited always to find creative ways to participate, to step out of the story we tell ourselves in order to tell a bigger story because we know there's something bigger there. We just don't see it as improvisational creativity that's always inviting. We see it as a defi defined thing. So third point, Krista Tippett, on being, she said this recently. She said the thing that's kept her motivated in life because of the, nor the narrative that's being told all the time, which is so much negativity, and it's the one that we tend to be riveted to. We're just magnetized by negativity because it's part of our amygdala and our biology, etc. She says, my goal is to make goodness as riveting as evil. What an interesting idea. So my friends, that was your cue, I forgot to tell you. <laughs> this is what we get to do, and this is what we've been looking at for the next five weeks as we're looking at this series, is how we are part of evolution's story. And if we want to begin to understand where and who and how God is, we're better off looking in our moments than we are at our ideas because our moments are always inviting a more creative, redemptive response. Amen.
treasure that you're hoping to find is out there waiting for you. It's just a matter of time. Things are changing. Just a, a quick thought, uh, quick response to that song. Um, earlier in the week, I got an email from the Jimmy LaFave fan, the official fan club, the official Jimmy LaFave page. Uh, he died, I think, 2017. But um, they said, so just curious, why would a Jimmy LaFave song be used in a church service? <laughs> so I explained it. <laughs> But basically, I tried to summarize it as quick as I could, but I did say at the end, after saying that, you know, as opposed to a story that's all about dominating and a story that's all about controlling and a story about faith, which is, which is that structured, you know, what we are about is, is evolving, and what we are about is finding creative ways to participate in evolving towards redemptive possibilities, towards greater wholeness, towards more compassionate 
right relationship, so to speak. And I said, in, print, in the quotations then, I said, you know, things are changing. They're rearranging. It's a glorious day. So let that be our benediction. Let's stand. Let's see how many ways we can tell that story this week in spite of the dominating story. It's a glorious day. Go out and enjoy it. We'll see you next week.